Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on October 3rd by Pastor Tim Voth. Today is the third sermon in our Fall 2021 sermon series entitled Acts, You Will Be My Witnesses. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. So we've been going through a sermon series through Acts called Acts, You Will Be My Witnesses. And we've been tracking how Jesus died and and rose from death and ascended and then sent his Holy Spirit. And now his apostles have been doing miracles and they've they've been um, speaking in different languages and people have been understanding them. And so that's an amazing miracle. And on one day, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. And we're going to be talking in a story that, that stretches from that through chapter 3 and 4. So it's a bit of a, a bigger section. And in this story, we're going to be seeing uh, a lot of people getting more than they bargained for, where they were expecting one experience and then they actually had a different experience. And so maybe you've had uh, moments like that in your life. I know that I have. I remember me and my siblings um, used to lovingly poke fun at my mom uh, for a moment like that at Dinotown. I don't know if you remember Dinotown, but it was awesome. It was in Chilliwack and it was this place with, with dinosaurs and costumes and candy. And we were there one day as kids and we were playing on the rides and having candy. And then we all sat down um, to watch a play that they were putting on with all these people dressed up in dinosaur costumes. And, you know, for us, it was kind of half funny, half silly, half kind of like too childish, uh, half entertaining. And um, so we're sitting there kind of like enjoying it, but also half mocking it to each other. But then we look over and we see that my mom is like, crying and tears are coming down her face and we're like what is happening like we just can't understand how this could make that reaction happen but they were singing some a song called something like kids grow up too fast these days and the message of that song was resonating with her and we had no idea what was happening (laughs) but now now as a parent I 100% understand what was happening there have been so many times probably way too many times where I've turned on some show or starting re- started reading a book or s- turned on like a Disney movie for my kids. And uh, I- I'm kind of half expecting that it'll be maybe a little entertaining or maybe even slightly annoying because I'm trying to do work over here while they're watching a show over here. But inevitably, I start getting a little bit sucked into the show. And then they start maybe going on about some theme about maybe like love or courage or something like that. And suddenly the message of it is starting to resonate with me. And I'm it's hitting me in all the feels and and now I'm like I've got tears coming down and I have to do that thing where I like subtly wipe away a tear or just like let my tears dry so that at the end of the show people don't look over and see that I've been crying you know all that kind of stuff so like I'm turning on this show expecting it to be kind of annoying or you know slightly entertaining but meanwhile when it's actually happening God is using it to speak to me and encourage me in my heart and so God is showing up in this very unexpected place. I expect one thing, but I really get more than I bargained for in the end. And maybe that's happened to you. Um, I know it happens to me. And something similar happens in this story in Acts. So there are the apostles, and there's a beggar, and there are religious leaders, and, and there are other believers, and they all experience the power of the Holy Spirit, wherein they encounter the kingdom of God, and it's way more than they bargained for. And, um, so, so let's walk through the story, and we're going to go through it, and then I'm going to hone in on one aspect of it, um, which is healing. And so, 
Before this section, the believers just came together and there were 3,000 of them, like I said, and they're starting to form the church. And now Peter and John are going to the temple. They're, they're walking to the temple to pray as they would. And uh, they see a guy uh, crippled there who, who's begging. He's, he's laying down and he's begging them for money. He's been crippled since birth, it says. And he, he was put there uh, by the temple every day by a gate called Beautiful for 40 years of his life. Uh, he's been, he's been, he's been um, crippled since birth. And he's been begging for money to make a living. He, he can't work, obviously, but he needs to survive. And so he's kind of eked out this living, um, hoping for generosity and pity from people as they're going up to the temple so he can get a few coins to, to eat and then start his next day like that. Um, but on this day, he asks Peter and John, um, he asks Peter and John if they have money and they say, um, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I, I have no silver and gold. And he's probably heard that before, so that, that's nothing new. He's heard that before from people. But then they say, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He's never heard that before. And suddenly he's progressing. You'll, you see it in the story. He progresses from laying there to being pulled up to supernaturally being healed in his feet and his ankles and, and to standing and stepping and walking and leaping. And now instead of being outside the temple, he's inside with them praising God. And that day he got way more than he bargained for, not just some measly coins that he would go home and count. He, he got a whole new body. He got healed. Now this is obviously miraculous and people notice and their minds are blown and Peter doesn't hesitate for a second. He springboards off of this miracle and goes straight to the gospel. He addresses the crowd and preaches to them that it wasn't Peter and John who healed him, but it was in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know that guy that you like betrayed and mocked and pinned to a tree and murdered? That guy, it's in his name that this guy is healed. You're responsible for killing him. You killed the author of life. And it's amazing that Peter doesn't capitalize on this healing moment and turn it into some sort of like a healing service. You know, I think in our modern day, we might be like, sheesh, Peter, like calm down. This guy just got healed. Why not like open it up to other people to get healed and bring the crowds? But he's like, no, he's not like trying to make it about numbers or people. He's just like, I'm going straight to the gospel. And so he cuts to the heart of it and he says, this is a sign of the kingdom of God advancing through Jesus Christ, who is God's anointed one prophesied from long ago. But he tells the crowd that they aren't hopeless. Yes, they have done evil. They killed the author of life, but there's hope. Jesus is still offering them life in his name. And he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And so many more of them did repent. Uh, and there were about uh, maybe 2,000 more. And so their, their number was now 5,000 people who had believed in Jesus. And so this is pretty amazing stuff. Uh, but you know what some people felt? Annoyed. It's, it's annoying. I don't know why. Uh, they were greatly annoyed at this miracle. Man, miracles are annoying. Who would actually be annoyed at something like this? Well, probably someone who has something to lose. The crippled man encountered the kingdom of God and he was healed. But the religious leaders encountered the kingdom of God and they were annoyed at it. Why? Because it disrupted their systems and threatened their status and their understanding of who God is. So they thought, you know, why don't we just just arrest them? 
you know, we arrested that Jesus and that worked at least for a while. Uh, that seemed to stop him. Uh, so they just, they just want to arrest them and make them be quiet. And so Peter and John are arrested. And so not only is this the first miracle in the book of Acts, a healing miracle, it's also the first um, persecution. And after being arrested, they're asked, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by, his, by him this man is standing before you well. So no ifs, ands, or buts. Again, Peter is crystal clear. It wasn't us, but it also wasn't the name of God or Yahweh like the audience might have expected. It was in the name of Jesus. And so notice the contrast here. When Jesus was on trial and being arrested and being questioned, where was Peter? He was kind of slinking away in the shadows, a little afraid, scared, didn't want to say anything. But now, now, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, he is clear to the point, nothing to lose, open, upfront, pointing to Jesus. And this brazen boldness, it startles everyone. Listen to how Luke puts it. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So maybe normally the leaders at this point would have entered into like a theological dialogue with, with the people um, saying things like, you know, it's, it's the, Jesus isn't the Messiah because of this, this, and this in the scriptures, you're wrong. And they probably would have easily won at that moment. But in this moment, they can't do that. Why? Because the guy is standing right there that they healed and they all knew him. They knew that he'd been sitting there, laying there for 40 years and he's standing there now healed. And so they're, they're just silenced. They have nothing to say. No airy theological argument could, could defy the fact that in the name of Jesus Christ, this man was healed. And so they're silenced and they also want to silence Peter and John. They're like, okay, just, just please stop talking about this. This is way t- more than we bargained for with this Jesus guy. We thought he would just be killed and go away, but now we're getting more of this. So just please stop talking about it. And they're like, no, no, we're not going to stop talking about it. Um, why? For we cannot speak, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Witnesses. They were witnesses of Jesus and his resurrection and the power of the spirit and nothing could keep them quiet about it. And so to end this section, they go back to their friends and they tell them what happened. And is everyone discouraged or or afraid? Or do they pray that God with this new power would smite their enemies and, and leaders? Or do they pray that the leaders would be changed in their hearts so that they don't persecute them anymore? No, they don't pray for any of that. This persecution simply affirms that, yes, this Jesus is the anointed one, and they pray for boldness. And I love this line in their prayer. And now look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And so look at that. Help us be bold while you do the signs. God knows the threats and, and he'll deal with them however he, he wants in his wisdom. But as for us, 
What we can control is whether we keep speaking. And so please, please help us be bold to keep speaking. And if you keep reading Acts, you see that God answers that prayer. It's just continued boldness for the apostles and the disciples and the followers as the book of Acts continues. And so, all the people in this story encounter the kingdom of God and it affects them all in ways that they didn't expect. For the crippled man, it heals him. For the religious leaders, it annoys them. And for the believers, it emboldens them. And they all got more than they bargained for. And what I want to focus on this morning is is the event that kicked it all off, which is the healing. And where I want to land is that in all of your healing and in all of your hurts, Jesus has so much more for you than you could ever ask or imagine. He wants to heal you. And he wants to heal you of so many things and in so many ways. And so let's explore this idea of healing together. So this man was born lame. He's miraculously healed in the name of Jesus. And this is what Luke documents for us. And in talking about healing in Acts, I think it is important to start with the person of Luke. He was a doctor. And to be a good doctor takes a certain mindset and skill set to being focused, detail-oriented, observant, compassionate, intelligent, logical, and so on. And so think of that seeming contrast. A doctor carefully studying miracles, the very things that surpass our logic and reasoning and understanding. Um, but, but there are many doctors who, who do this, by the way. And there's one, Craig Keener, that might be worth looking up. He's a doctor at Oxford that documents tons of miracles done around the world. And I think there is something beautiful about this. You know, for for Luke's whole life, he's been healing people through a variety of means, maybe medicine or or physical adjustment or or surgery or so on. He's worked in the physical realm to heal. But there's a whole other realm that came crashing in through his systems in in seeing the work of the Holy Spirit and miracles of healing. People without any other physical intervention being restored in ways that don't align with what we know about the world. And I think he must have held those two intention. And I think we would do well to hold those two intention as well. On the one side, there's the physical world and we have bodies that were in some ways designed to heal themselves and doctors might say, you know, we don't heal the body, we just help the body heal itself. You know, there's all sorts of processes happening in the body that surpass my understanding, um, like, you know, white blood cells and the immune system and the nervous system and all these crazy things that are working together to, to heal our bodies. Uh, And doctors come alongside of that to help it with stuff like band-aids and casts and surgeries and and medicine and vaccines and so on. But there's also the spiritual dimension. The fact that there is a God and he created everything and he can clearly intervene in a given situation where the normal faculties of our body have failed to act to cause a healing to take place. And I think we make an error when we lean, lean too far to one side to the neglect of the other. You know, when we, when we say, well, only God can heal, and so we neglect any sort of medical intervention, or, you know, there is no God, and he could never heal. It's all about medicine. You know, we, we make an error when we just lean too far one side to the neglect of the other. You know, we can use both medicine and prayer for healing, just as Luke, as a doctor, must have. And God can work through both. God can heal through medical intervention and through new supernatural acts. And here in this story, we're talking about what would be called supernatural healing. 
Now, we might have a tendency in our culture to say that this type of healing doesn't take place anymore. It happened then, or maybe the Bible isn't true, and and it's lying to us. This stuff never actually took place. Luke is just lying. He's making up a story. Or it still maybe happens, but just not in North America or Chilliwack or our church. Um, But I want us as the church to be encouraged today, today that Jesus Christ of Nazareth still heals today. And just as the church from the very get-go in Acts was a movement and a community where people were healed in the name of Jesus, it still is and should be today. It is a place where people are healed physically, miraculously, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. But I think sometimes we don't see it because we aren't bold enough to ask to see it and we're not bold enough to look for it and we're not bold enough to ask for it. And I know that there are many in our church who would claim to have been healed by God, either through medical intervention or through supernatural means or both. There are many stories like that in our congregation, and that should encourage us. The God in the book of Acts, Jesus in whose name they healed, is still the same God, is still the same Jesus. He hasn't changed. He's alive and well here in our congregation and has demonstrated his power in many of our stories. And the church is still a place of healing today. And so to the first point, we we don't see it because we aren't always bold enough to look at and ask for it. And being part of a church is such a unique way to see and discover uh, people who have been healed. We we have a prayer team that I send prayer requests to. It's, it's, uh, It's about 30 people in our church who receive an email like every other week where we pray for people's needs in the life of our church. And I really wish that I had tracked every prayer that had been answered and every person that had been healed. See, as pastors, we we may have a unique vantage point to see into so many people's lives and to walk with you when you're suffering and to rejoice with you when you're healing. Um, we, We see a lot of your stories, but this doesn't have to be unique to us. We can learn each other's stories too. Each person in our church is like a library. They are a work in progress that God is in the process of healing. And if you get to know one another more, I guarantee you that you will continue to be affirmed in the idea that God is still a God who heals. And one way to do that is to join this prayer team. And so reach out to me if you want to be part of that prayer team. Another way might be to join what we call the visiting team. This is a team headed up by Ingrid Peters that keeps track of people who are sick and suffering and prays for them and visits them. So if you're a compassionate person who enjoys encouraging people who are hurting and you want to see people's stories and start seeing more healing, let me know and I'll put you in touch with Ingrid. And so not only those two avenues, but I also mentioned deeper forms of healing like emotional, psychological, and spiritual. And I think that those align with the physical and they all, they all work together in a mysterious way. And I know people in our congregation as well who would say that they were healed physically because they worked through, by God's grace, emotional and spiritual um, damage, and they were healed emotionally and physically as well through it. And so the church should be a place where you discover that kind of healing as well. And one avenue I'd highly recommend is what you may have heard me talk about called Churches That Heal. And Jill Lusink is going to be running one that starts for seven weeks in October. And I've worked through the material. We as a staff have worked through some of the material. And uh, Jill has done this group in the past. And I would just, I would highly recommend it. Please look into it. You know, if, if, if you want 
if you have some sort of sense that maybe you have some emotional or spiritual or mental um, kind of pain and, and you want to work towards healing of any kind, you want to take steps to work towards that, um, please talk to me or go to our website and check it out and sign up. Okay, but bottom line, the church is meant to be a place of healing because Jesus, the great physician, is the head of the church and we, his followers, have his Holy Spirit indwelling us to be healed and to heal one another. So if you want to see healing, be bold, step out, join one of these groups, even step out and start praying for healing for yourself or for people and start asking people to pray for you for healing and you may be amazed and in awe at what you find. But if we're honest, we do have an aching question. What if God doesn't heal me? Or why hasn't he yet? And I can't fully address that here in a way that will be satisfying. But what I can say out of this text that we're studying and looking at is that it's interesting to think that this beggar was laid at the gate for 40 years. 40 years. Right at the temple, right at the east gate for 40 years. Maybe Peter and John passed by him many times. I mean, the temple was a popular place. Everyone went there to go pray. You know, it's not hard to guess that they might have passed this guy in their life. And another thought is that maybe even Jesus passed by him going to temple to pray. And maybe you in your life feel like Jesus is walking past you. You know, there are many serious sicknesses and pain that you may be facing or someone that you love is facing. And what I want to say is that in the middle of it, Jesus might have more than you bargained for. The lame man fixated on coins and didn't realize what else Jesus could offer him. But maybe sometimes we flip that around and we fixate on healing, not knowing that Jesus has so much more in store for us than just physical healing. I think it's important to think of the word sign. The word appears 13 times in the book of Acts and three times in this section. This healing is called a sign. And what do signs do? They point. Have you ever tried like pointing to something to a dog or maybe even a kid and they like, they look at your hand and you're like, hey, look over there. And they're like, huh? And they're like trying to figure out what you're doing with your hand. And you're like, no, no, no. Like look over there, there. And they're just like fixated on the sign and they're not actually looking at where you're pointing. I think that happens to us with signs. We fixate on them not knowing what, what they're trying to do or their purpose. And C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Surprised by Joy, and he spends a lot of time talking about joy. And then he says that in the end, joy is just simply a sign. And spoiler alert, this is how he ends his book. When we are lost in the woods, the sight of a signpost is a great matter. He who first sees it cries, look! And the whole party gathers around and stares. But when we have found the road and are passing signposts every few miles, we shall not stop and stare. They will encourage us, and we shall be grateful to the authority that set them up, but we shall not stop and stare, or not much, not on this road, even though their pillars are of silver and their lettering of gold. And so healing, it's an amazing golden sign, but when we have discovered the road, he to whom that sign points, we discover the core truth of healing, which is that in Christ, it is not a matter of if, but of when. We may get partially healed here, 
but we will all be healed in the end in Christ. When the kingdom of heaven and earth come, become one and Jesus returns and restores those, all those things, those who are in him will be raised to life with him. You will be healed of every sickness, disease, everything that ails you, everything that frustrates you about your body and inhibits you, every pain, every agony, every ache, it will all vanish along with every tear that ever accompanied it. Just like it says in Revelation 21. In Jesus, we will discover full healing and new bodies. And every once in a while, God pulls that future kingdom into the present to allow us to taste his kingdom in healing to give us a glimpse of the resurrection to come. But he's also stretching that kingdom into our lives when we don't experience healing. I know people in our church who would say that their trials broke them and in breaking them, healed them of something much deeper. That while their circumstances didn't change, they discovered the love of God in the middle of them and God used those hardships and sufferings to shape their character, heal their inner wounds and produce in them an assurance and a peace that transcends their unhealed bodies. I think of Warren King in our church. Uh, He just turned 86 this last week. So happy birthday, Warren King. I went to visit him a few weeks back and, and he It's hard for him to speak through his Parkinson's. But he told me that when he was a young man in the military, he pulled out his back and he was grabbing like a massive bomb that I think it slipped and he had to like grab it and hold it because if he didn't grab it, it would have landed on the floor and they all would have blown up. And so he like, he grabbed the bomb and held it and like sacrificed his back for that. And in the process, he he really damaged his back and he had been in chronic pain ever since. But I tell you, Talking to that man and his wife, Carol, it's just such a sweet experience. He's a man who knows Jesus and his trials have drawn him so close to, to him that just talking to him, it's like healing waves of light. That, and, and now he, he experiences such power when he's talking about heaven and the hope he has in Jesus that he'll give him a new body. He's not focused on the sign. He's focused on the one to whom the sign points, to his ultimate healing in Jesus, which stretches joy and peace from heaven to him while he waits for it. And so in that way, God does have more than you bargained for. You may come to him like the beggar wanting healing, but what he wants to give you is healing that is even deeper than your body. I mean, think of it. No matter how many times your body gets healed here, we all have to face the ultimate sickness of death. Eventually, something will kill you. I'm sorry to say it. We need good news that goes beyond just, hey, you can be temporarily healed. And Peter uses this healing to immediately point to that good news, the only true healing balm for the soul. This healing, in a sense, was nothing compared to the ultimate healing found in the love of Jesus. The ultimate healing of our insecurities, our shame, our guilt, our fear, and our ultimate sickness sin, and death. That's what Jesus ultimately came to deal with and heal. And I believe that Jesus wants to offer you that same forgiveness for everything you've ever done and give you times of refreshing found in repentance. And so repentance simply means to turn. And it's hard to turn because it means we have to admit that we were wrong, going in the wrong direction. And all these leaders had to do was say, you're right. Okay, you're right. We killed Jesus. Now what? What do we do? And, and, and 
Jesus would have embraced them. He would have drawn them to himself in love if they had repented, turned from that, admitted they were wrong, and trusted in him. But turning is hard. It's even harder than me admitting to you all that I have cried during Disney movies. It's hard to admit to my wife, to my kids, to my friends, to my coworkers when I've done something wrong. It's easier to just dig in and, and double down and justify my actions and explain away how somehow I'm exempt from the standard. But Jesus doesn't want our justifications. He wants us exactly as we are. Do you need times of refreshing? Do you need healing? Turn to Jesus, let go of your sin, let go of your pride and come to him. And as you do, your life in Christ is now a sign. Your life becomes a sign. It's a sign in all of your healings and in all of your hurts that points others to Jesus as well. And so I'll end where our story ends with boldness. Be bold. Be bold in sharing with others your hurts so that you can be prayed for and supported. Be bold in praying for healing for others. Be bold in repentance. Turn from things and be turn from things and be bold to confess to one another. Be bold to seek God as to why he isn't healing you. Ask him, what does he want to give you that you didn't bargain for? What is he giving you in the middle of your hurt? And be bold in your witness. One of the most powerful testimonies is a changed and healed life. There are no words against that when you simply stand and confess, Jesus saved me and healed me. Maybe he wants to heal someone through your story. And so we pray for boldness while God does the signs. And so I want to end with some discussion questions for you here. Number one, have you ever had an experience where you got more than you bargained for? Has God ever met you or spoke to you in an unexpected place or way? Two, in what ways is your life like a sign that points to Jesus? And three, being bold is hard. What are some steps you could take to step out and be bold in some of the things mentioned, like praying for healing, asking for prayer, sharing your story, confessing your sins, and so on? Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.